Yeah, sorry I'm late. I tried to play a psychological game with my dog, and I lost. Psychological game? Dogs win all psychological games. Yeah. Especially Cory Barker. Yeah. <laughs> so my boyfriend's away, and I have to walk Cory for all the walks. And uh, he's decided that none of the trees by the apartment are, like, suitable for doing his business. He only wants to go to Rittenhouse Park. <laughs> Yeah, right. Rittenhouse Park is Corey's toilet, and he will accept no substitutions. <laughs> and I, I wanted to get in here for the podcast, so I tried to, like, walk him in the other direction, thinking he would think it's not an option, but no tree is good enough. I had to go all the way back to the park. Wow. Maybe you just need uh, to find a tree that smells like other dogs. Maybe that's, like, his requirement, not actually being in that park. <laughs> yeah, just massive quantities of dogs. So that probably is the biggest dog location in that area, right? Yeah. Whenever I see somebody, like, now that I own a dog, whenever I see somebody, like, just lying out in the field, it's just like, oh, my God, you're sitting in my dog's toilet. <laughs> What's the topic today? Well, we were going to do a follow-up. Yeah, I wanted to do some quit follow-up uh, because Pam had doubted my ability to quit. I didn't doubt your ability to quit. I just, I feel like I've quit a lot. And so I was impressed that you said that you had more quits than me. And you did. We made a spreadsheet. Yeah, it took me some while to, uh, took me a while to, to sum it all up. But I have quit nine tech jobs and 17 total jobs. I love that both of you were so competitive about this. Len <laughs> <laughs> started the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, I decided late last night that I wanted to finally move one of my bloggy things over to middleman so i started doing that so my mind's all middleman mode i was so excited to move my blog to middleman and then once i got it up and running i haven't touched it (laughs) static site generators yeah (laughs) so we have a book club in three weeks uh yep i think we're recording on the 30th but the episode will be out on october 2nd the episode will be back out on the 29th uh yep and we're gonna have on Corey haynes uh talking about Understanding the Four Rules of Simple Design. And I'll put a link to the book on the show notes. It's on LeanPub. So I had a copy of that book, and I just reread the, I guess, the cover. And I didn't realize that it was, um, the marketing pitch was based on watching people do Game of Life, which I thought was really interesting. I like Mm -hmm. that that is, like, such a complex, interesting problem that you can boil it down to, to, like, the four rules of simple design. Like, or or you you can use that as your example for many different things you basically get a lot from such a problem yeah i think it's a good example of a problem that has like a pretty simple explanation like it's pretty easy to understand but yet there are a lot of moving pieces so it requires a significant amount of design moving pieces get it (laughs) (laughs) so people might not know what the game of life is i don't know if we want to get into that or save it till two weeks well while we're killing time uh (laughs) game of life is a simulation or programming challenge where you have a should be infinite uh grid uh of cells so imagine like a like graph paper and you just fill in a bunch of random cells as being alive like with your pencil and then everything else is considered dead and then there are rules for the next uh, evolution of that that world, that that grid. Um, the, oh, I'm sorry, the, the board is what they usually call it. Um, the next evolution is based upon rules like how many neighbors you have and if you're alive or dead. So in Wikipedia, there's there are the rules. Um, 
What I found interesting was I had a conversation with somebody recently that they didn't like Game of Life because it was hard to TDD from the outside in. Because you essentially need like an entire board and then an, and then the next board you expect. And then to take that and then go down to... Most times I've been in a code retreat, we usually start with like the rules. Which is usually like, depending on what programming language you're in, like some if statements or pattern matching or... There's a bunch of different ways to solve it. Have you guys ever tried to, to do that outside in instead of starting with the rules? I usually just start with the unit tests. Mm. I think the first time I ever did it, one of the first times I we tried with the board, I don't remember how far we got or how difficult it was. But. The one problem I have started to have with the game of life, and maybe you could ask Corey about this, but uh, I did like three different code retreats, and I've done that exercise so many times that I feel like I'm not getting the benefit of the code retreat because part of it is, you know, going through what the design should be. And after like writing it 15 times, I feel like I have pretty strong opinions about what the design should be. Yeah, but at the same time, other people have strong opinions on what their design should be. And then at some point, you can use it instead of, um, I mean, you're not really. In one way, you're not really designing the game of life. You're trying to figure out like what development methodology you want to use. Like, how are you going to TDD this? How are you going to structure it in objects or functions? Or I really like uh, going to code retreats that I can find people that know languages that I that I don't, but I'm interested in. So I can, as long as they're confident enough, hosting me and teaching me, like bring me along the way. Like most recently, I did. Um, it wasn't game of life. But I did a kata in in Go at a recent meetup. Uh, with somebody, and that was that was a good time. It was pairing on the on the game of life that first uh, really made me grok TDD. I was uh, actually at the first code retreat in Ann Arbor in 2009, and I was pairing with JB Rainsberger, and we were writing a test, and he had the test take in a cell, and I said to him, "We know this is needs an array of cells," and he's like, "We're not ready for that yet." And I almost had an aneurysm. I'm like, "We need an array of cells," and he's like, "Probably, but we're not ready to think about that yet." And it was just like all my my brain just melted. <laughs> Nice. And now I totally agree with him. But me at the time, you know, the programmer who just automatically thinks of, you know, the entire implementation that will possibly need to, you know, handle all scenarios uh, just just died inside. So you were at the first code retreat lab? Uh, yep. Nice. I lived in Ann Arbor for a while. How many people were there? Do you remember? Uh, I want to say like 30. It's quite a bit. Wow, you're like... 30, 30 for Ann Arbor is quite a bit. Lennox OG. <laughs> yeah, he, he was there at the beginning. He's like Moses. He's an OCR, original code retreater. <laughs> so I hope I'm getting his name right, but listener Torn Billups added an issue to our GitHub, and we are still taking topic suggestions in our GitHub issues. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, but his topic is generalist versus specialist. Definition time. So he didn't give us a definition. So what do you guys think? I would assume it just means, is it better to specialize in one technology or have a wider breadth? And I think people people also often think of specialist versus generalist as a, a generalist is someone who might do multiple languages or multiple areas of the stack, and a specialist is only one language or one area. But I might say that you said before the podcast that we're all generalists, but I might say that we're all specialists and that we all generally do web technology. Unless maybe, Len, you do a little bit of iPhone. No, but I'm, I'm terrible at that. But, <laughs> but no, you can, you can drill down to that specialization at, I guess, different levels. I mean, 
all of these or most of these technologies are just so wide at this point. Like, can you be a specialist in JavaScript? I mean, I, like you're talking about with your book, Pam, like I don't know if anyone is really an expert in Backbone, an expert in Angular, and an expert in Ember, right? So is it possible to even be a specialist in JavaScript? Yeah, if, because inevitably you're going to end up looking at a project that's built in the other one. Right. We, we do have a good amount of control on what we work on, but at the same time we don't. I've heard the term uh, T-shaped people a lot, where you have a... I like T-shaped. It's wow. it's actually related to PhDs, I believe. Really? Yeah. yeah it's like so you have like a wide wide array of um, skills and then, and then deep, deep knowledge in one area. Mm-hmm. So how does one balance uh, getting skills in other areas and also getting that deep knowledge of one thing? Is that usually your passion or...? Um, it can be yeah. just it can be the thing that interests you the most, which yeah, is gonna, what you refer to as passion. Yeah, but. I was gonna say like passion sounds good because like I I find myself for me like I don't tend to do well learning things that I'm not interested in, so it just it's just kind of natural for me to learn about things that that intrigue me. So if, if something doesn't intrigue you, you know, don't bother learning it. <laughs> um, I guess there's some pragmatism there where you need to learn something for work, but. Right. If you're if you're really itching to learn Go, uh, you're not going to do well trying to force yourself to like learn like some more nuances of Ruby, right? Well, here, here's a here's a I think a good example is like I am not interested really in uh, marketing or sales or anything. So if I were to launch my own you know SaaS product, the technology would interest me a lot, and I would probably I think do a good job at that. But like I would need to go outside my comfort zone to figure out how to do all the other stuff. Or find somebody that that could. Also, copywriting. Great show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I almost. I feel like we really got to it right away with the T-shaped thing. That there, we don't want to be a specialist or a journalist. We want to have a broad range of knowledge. Because I guess did we did we do the DevOps show? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you were there. Whatever. Whatever. I no Piper was there. We had Piper instead. No, okay. <laughs> no, no. But so, so I guess one of the the premises of DevOps is that you will have people who are at least somewhat generalist in order for them to have some knowledge, but not necessarily deep knowledge of a wide array of a wide array of things. I want to be E shaped or F shaped, but turn it on its side. I want to be it's a T a with thing, m- Justin. multiple. I want to be multiple T shaped. So what do you what do you do if you want to change the shape of your tea? <laughs> if you or what if it's like prairie dogs and you want to burrow another hole? Um, hmm. Can we think of more prairie dog analogies? No, please don't. <laughs> I saw a bunch of prairie dogs last year. It was really cool. I went to Colorado and I had no idea they had prairie dogs, and it was basically the coolest thing. They have prairie dogs at the, at the um, Philadelphia Zoo. At the zoo? No, these were. This was on the bike trail. There were just prairie dogs be chilling. Yeah, that's cool. They look kind of sad at the zoo because they're in this like hard ground thing. Because and zoos are sad. Yeah, but we're also going to see that. like a a lion. I was going to say a lion because like you could go to like some safari and see a lion. You could go and watch a video and see a lion. Also and not have to take an animal out of its habitat. Anyway, so what if you decide you? So what if you are deep in one technology and you decide you want to change? 
learn learn that technology immerse yourself in i mean len you've done that yeah i did do that and uh i remember when i was learning ruby i thought i was learning ruby just to make my c sharp better uh, i probably wouldn't have bothered learning ruby if microsoft didn't dally with uh, a ruby implementation that ran on dotnet runtime called iron ruby uh but yeah i just thought it was just a fun exercise and got more and more obsessed until i uh quit my job because i'm good at that <laughs> you know, when i switched to development from from doing like system engineering, I just kind of immersed myself in, I went to Ruby meetups and then I listened to podcasts and, you know, spent a lot of time at home, like building things on my own um, until I got enough of a base that I felt like I could, I could, I could be useful to somebody. Right. For me, nothing was planned. I generally do not plan things, but I was just following my passion uh, and just got more and more obsessed with Ruby. I never sat down and, and thought I should switch to Ruby. In fact, it probably like set me back on my goal of going freelance because I went from, you know, .NET expert, arguably, to, you know, a Ruby noob. And, uh, I wasn't ready to take clients with like six months of Ruby experience. That can be scary going from like experience in one place to absolute know nothing in another place. Yeah, you want you often wonder like, why am I doing this? I already know this thing, and so you have to sell yourself sometimes. On yeah, but as with anything, like over time, you'll just get to the same place. Mm-hmm. And it's nice that like as programmers, like we we do have knowledge outside of our current technology, like in Ruby or JavaScript or Closure. You know, you should keep things small. You should keep things simple to reason about. Um, I feel like my time in Ruby in the past few years has kind of taught me to. Um, test first in any language. I'm sure I could have learned those things in other languages, but I think I have a skill set in Ruby, and then I also have a skill set of myself as a programmer. So, Justin, do you have a goal with your Go programming? Nope, I'm done with that. You're done with that. You moved on. <laughs> I made a I made a Pomodoro thing for my Tmux, and that was enough for me to say. Did yep. you share it, Justin? Yeah, it's on uh, GitHub. There you Justin go. Justin Campbell slash Tmux dash Pomodoro. Missed, almost missed that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> almost missed that. Yeah, I have that um, as a, a thing you can install with Homebrew. And then I also have um, a couple of the utilities that I've written in Bash. I really like Bash. But yeah, I, I, I learned enough Go with that to feel like I could do Go on a larger project. But like I don't have a larger project to practice with. And I don't think Go is a good fit for a static site generator. <laughs> <laughs> Or uh, or some other things I'm working on right now. But that's an important bit of knowledge too, right? Knowing enough about this language to have a better sense of when or when it may not be a good fit. Kind of related to like our when to quit in the more abstract. Um, Dave Thomas, I think he was on either the Ruby Rogues or the Thoughtbot Giant Robots podcast. Um, he was talking about like how he got into Ruby was essentially like every Saturday morning is his routine. He would like sit down like uh, 10, 15 years ago and learn a new programming language. He would just like f- find something on the internet. Um, GitHub wasn't, didn't exist back then, but I guess it's on a mailing list or something. And he would just download it and start playing with it. Um, and they got into a good discussion about, you know, well, when do you know to just move on? I think, I think the easy answer is like when you're, when you're disinterested. From a language? Uh, well, when you're learning more like fringe languages or technologies and you just want to see see this new thing if, it, if it's any use to you you know or if, or if you find it interesting pro dabbling pro dabbling i feel like we're missing the viewpoint of a specialist though since none of us are really i think specialists do they exist though can you name a friend of yours who's a specialist 
Um, I knew a guy who is a SQL Server specialist. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was maybe the only uh, time that Masochist. he just knew disgusting amounts of SQL. Uh, so there, it, it was amazing on on one hand because the things he was able to do, the performance he was able to to like squeeze out of that database was ridiculous. Uh, but the downside is, you know, uh, when your only tool's a hammer, right? He just wanted to do everything in SQL. If he ever saw any code uh, that was, you know, doing database stuff not in SQL, uh, he just threw a little. So well, why wouldn't that be written in SQL? Right. Uh. And, you know, well, I would argue that a lot of things he wanted to do is like creating duplication, you know, in, in sake of performance, but whatever, we'll, we'll uh, table that argument. But yeah, I also wonder, you know, I guess what motivates us, it sounds like, or most of us are, uh, not to speak for everybody, but is building things, right? And if you're a specialist, like, what can you really build? <laughs> what can you build a SQL Server? <laughs> right. Yeah. We can, we can, we know enough about the database to make the database, make the middle tier, make the uh, JavaScript front end. We can do the whole thing and launch a product. And how do you really, uh, you know, practice your craft if your craft uh, only encompasses a part of that? If you can't do, you can't, part of it, I think, too, about being, I think this might be one of the things you're getting at, is that by being more of a generalist, you can it, you can build something completely by yourself without somebody's help. Right. And gonna... I do think it's interesting when you meet developers who can't do that, who say, I've met some people who work on, say, you know, large, secure systems. So basically, they can only work for the DoD or, you know, Amazon. <laughs> The DOD of online commerce, um, but but yeah, I I just wonder I'm I'm baffled at well what do you what do you do if you aren't making something? Right, we're missing the specialists. <laughs> I'm gonna relink this. Uh, I think what we did in one of the first few podcasts. Um, Jen Schiffer has this article. It says become the best web developer you can be in one simple step, and it says step one know everything about the following things, and there's a list of like I don't know sixty technologies. <laughs> Oh, wait, what was it? You said the how to be a front-end developer? Or Become you... the best web developer you can be in one simple step. Yeah, they have the they have that for just front-end developer, too. <laughs> I mentioned this before, but I, I do really hope that uh, AirPair takes off because a lot of times I do wish I could reach out to a specialist. How, how new is AirPair? Because you all mentioned it, and there's another... I believe they're pretty much the same thing, except that it's by the minute called Hack Hands. Hmm. I don't think I mentioned that to you all when you mentioned AirPair. You you made it sound like AirPair had been around for years or something, but it's pretty new. Yeah, I think it's new. There are so many times where I'm just, you know, beating my head against some framework and I just wish I could pay a specialist like $100 a minute to like just tell me the stupid thing I need to do. $100 a minute. <laughs> that sounds a little steep, I'm going to be honest. I'll volunteer for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, considering like sometimes the hours and the rat holes we've gone down because we don't know just some you know thing we should know about this framework. But without those rat holes, Len, you won't learn why you won't ha- why you shouldn't do that thing. I'm not sure no. that's always true. <laughs> it's not always true, but I do think it is definitely being able to go down the rabbit hole when you have to is a skill. I think of every intern I've ever had to tell to go look something up before they talk to me. Because they haven't learned how to go down the rabbit hole yet. They haven't at least, so they need to try and solve it themselves because they won't always have someone to help them. Hmm. Maybe I'm mean to my interns. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, my interns usually, it's tough love. Right. I'm a really good intern mentor. It's just I don't, I don't take your shit, your stuff. I don't take your stuff. <laughs> Looking at hack hands, this looks pretty nice. It looks it looks a little more ad hoc than air pair. It is. That's kind of their point. Is you can even 
if you consult for them and you're one of the, the experts, you can connect it to your chat client. So it just pops up and says, hey, do you have, you know, a minute? And then you have a, there's also a grace period of, you know, if within the first couple of minutes you decide not to, to talk together or, you know, you look at someone's problem and you say, there's no way I can help you with that. Then you just mutually, you know, bail out and there's no harm, no foul. So you don't have to feel bad about saying yes to a problem. And actually it's kind of interesting because I, I mean, I'm subscribed to it, but I haven't helped anyone yet, but some of the problems that come in are kind of interesting. So I've pondered taking some of the problems and abstracting them into examples for problem sets because they actually are literally production problems for some people. Yeah. So if you generalized it, then, you know, basically create one of those hairy problems that people end up trying to answer on Stack Overflow and be able to take it to a workshop. So it says you don't pay if the session is less than five minutes. Oh, it's if nothing, if it ends before five minutes. Mm, so the session, I mean, so you have to take longer than five minutes to fix their problem. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the, that's the issue there. I think that's the, that's the hmm. space that I was talking about. Hmm. Hmm, <laughs> I'm really thinking about this. Oh, it's six minutes? Oh, yeah, I can't, can't, can't do that. Oh, you're missing a semicolon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should have used Ember. <laughs> I actually had that yesterday. Somebody asked me for help with something, and I was like, oh, you're running the test in the wrong line number. <laughs> like, oh, okay. They thought something was failing, but it wasn't. So <clears throat> is being a generalist better than being a specialist, or do you think there's a time when someone should be a specialist? If you really love SQL Server and you can't live without it. Yeah, I guess some people, like, I don't want to be like, I, derogatory, but like I guess people just like like their little niche and they don't want to move. I like, wouldn't necessarily just... say it that way, Justin. I would say that, so because there's, you know, we talked we talked about on the podcast before about the ways we learn and kind of how we almost want to be expert beginners. But it can be very nice to... Because also this is true for some people who they are specialist in their day job and then they do whatever on the side. So I met someone this weekend who works as a spam specialist. Yep, that kind of spam. And but he can do Node. He can he can build web apps and everything. He just specializes in his job, just doing that one niche technology, and he's a total expert at it and very good at his job. And then that frees him up. You know, he can just crush it. At what he's doing and then this is you know kind of me extrapolating because so, he seems really smart and driven to so he can crush it at what he's doing regularly on the day-to-day and then build his skills in the in that so he's already he's you know he's actually very t-shaped it's just that he chose to mostly work in his deep area of knowledge instead of using more heavily the skills across the t and then excelling when you go into the tunnel what's a spam specialist I have no idea what he does. It is kind of baffling. But I mean, his job is to, they run mail servers. and I was going to ask, is his specialty creating spam or uh, finding <laughs> No, he's not evil. He's trying to protect the people from spam. So his job is to and identify new ways that people are getting through the spam filters and crush them. And also at the same time, not delete all your regular email and classify your aunt's email as spam because she forged you everything. It must be hard for a new programmer coming into the industry. Like, what if someone is learning Ruby and then when they get a job, they realize that their company uses all this other stuff? And it's like, well, I haven't fully learned Ruby yet or programming. I'm supposed to learn all these other things. And what advice would you give to that person? 
just one step at a time. I don't know. Yeah, solve I mean, the, that's like the problem as it comes. You have so. to explore. Yeah, it's about exploring and seeing seeing what gets you the most interested. The best way to get somewhere is to take a step in that direction. That was deep. <laughs> I see a lot of people asking for full stack developers now. What are your thoughts on that? Like a full I, stack pirate ninja? So I think when people are hiring full stack developers, I think that's that's just people being somewhat lazy. Can you talk about that? So uh, I should find this listing, but the post, the job posting for the full stack developer reminds me a lot of the post for the designer and front end developer. Whenever there's an, an and in a job posting, it means that you should actually hire another person probably. But, I mean, mm-hmm. that's just partially that job listings are terrible. So job listings are really try to scope on skills when really you should just tell people what they're going to do. So you're going to, we need help with this. And then however they help you with that, then whatever, as long as they're useful. But so if you have, you know, I'm trying to think of a fake company to make up. So Twitter for Dogs has problems with it's it's seeing a drop in the 45-year-old demographic due to some recent changes. And they need someone to help with that. I don't know if that's a great example, but that when, especially that you're hiring an engineer and engineers are supposed to solve problems. So hiring an engineer for a skill set is somewhat counterintuitive to hiring a good engineer. Hmm. Agree or disagree? What if you need the help right away? Hire a consultant who has a track record of solving the same kind of problems that you have. Right. I'd, I'd clearly rather a good developer than a good Ruby developer or a Ruby developer that has, you know, five years of experience. Like someone who's just generally good will create better uh, apps in the long run. I want somebody who likes learning things and is not an asshole. That's <laughs> my, my criteria. Yeah, exactly. I do think, you know, from the you know, like agile development perspective that having specialists might make stories a little more uh, convoluted to get through the stack. Like, <clears throat> I haven't done this in a long time, but if a feature needs to, you know, get worked on by the database expert to move on to the middle tier, to move on to the JavaScript expert, and then, you know, each each person doesn't quite give the next person down the stack what they need, like, I just think that could just be a little bit of a cluster. I feel like we're back to the DevOps podcast of, like, throwing code over the wall to the next person. Well, that's what, you know, working, being a specialist would kind of entail, right? Yeah. Give it to that guy. He knows what he's doing. He'll write those SQL queries for you. <laughs> Are you guys talking on GroupMe? Yeah, I was just wondering why my uh, why my phone was going nuts, and I looked, and Pam's posting pictures of underwater puppies in the back channel. They're puppies. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So do we just want to uh, dive into picks now? No pun intended. I have a pick. I don't get the pick. Does I have? Oh, dive in because the puppies are underwater. <laughs> yes. Hey yo. Okay. okay. I, I can miss that. Thanks for pointing it out. I can pick the underwater puppies. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a. I'm gonna pick the Solving Soul website, which is something I want to look a little bit more into. But I believe I saw it on the JS U feed and it is a an art thing uh, based on a conceptual minimalist artist so soul dewitt soul lewitt so you can look at the cool art things that are based off of his methodology justin do you have a pick did we pick group me yet 
I do not believe we did. You know what? Yeah, let's pick group meme. And there's a meme functionality. (laughs) There is. Yeah, I I was thinking before the podcast this morning that um, group meme is really great. Like, just for making... If you have some people that you need to talk to on your phone or on a computer in an ad hoc fashion, it's pretty great. Especially when you want to just leave that room open. Yeah, like, because... I've used it for conferences, too. It's great for getting people to join your your group me. So when I meet the vegans at a conference, I can add them to my group me for meeting up for food. Oh, that's cool. So it's basically a better group uh, SMS, right? It's better group SMS. And a web interface, because I'm not always into SMS. My opinion, like, for, for not very chatty, I guess, IRC channels, like, for... For groups of people, um, I think it's better than IRC because you can get it on your phone really easily and it has history and I don't know. I'm part of like six group me groups. All of my friends have different uh, different levels of like these are the all the guys have one and then everybody has one and then there's like the parents have one. <laughs> we have a one for PlayStation. I do admit that I at first when I first heard about group me, I was like, oh, text messaging app. It's useful, very useful. I think Steel City, when we went there and used it, changed my uh, my view of it. Mm. So, Jervalin, do you have a pick? Uh, yes, I do. My music pick is a song called Sleepless by Flume. It's very groovy. And then uh, I want to say if you're trying to learn a new language, tr- try and find uh, koans, I think it's pronounced, in that language. Or learn the language by trying to write some tests for the behavior that you expect for the language. Yep, those are my picks. I was not feeling very adventurous this weekend and played a lot of video games, so I don't think I ever picked my video game at the moment, which is Awesome Knots, which is this like 2D side-scrolling MOBA, which is like a multiplayer arena. So it's basically Mega Man meets League of Legends. And I like it because it doesn't require a lot of time to get good or to learn it. It's pretty simple. A game takes 20 minutes, and it's just a, a little good, relaxing game. And it's often 99 cents on Steam when it goes on sale. Uh, so yeah, awesome nuts. Show notes are at uh, turing.cool slash 20, and uh, follow us on Twitter at turingcool. And I'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Thanks, all. See ya. Bye.